And then the other two things is you want to make sure that any opportunity you go chase is going to provide you highly marketable skills within the organization that you're in and highly marketable skills outside the organization that you're in. And if you can only get one of those two, always, always go after those highly marketable skills outside the organization that you're in. Then comes the part where you focus on learning and observe the environment you're in so you can meet people where they are and help to drive positive career-enhancing change. The Reach West Radio Show welcomes John Dakota, SHRM's Divisional Director West, and the California Field Services Leader. You're listening to Reach West Radio with your host, Kevin W. Grossman. It's time to live the effectual stretch. John, thank you so much for being on Reach West Radio. Before we dive into the rest of the podcast, the one question now I like to ask all my guests before we get really dig into what you're doing today is, when we go in the way back machine, when you were either a child or even a teenager for that matter, what did John want to be when he grew up? That's a great question, Kevin. And, you know, I've thought about this a little bit and uh, it, it may not be the most professional response, but the reality is uh, when I was in high school, remember, I don't know if you remember a show called Bewitched or not, but I, I, I wanted I do. to be, I do. yeah, I wanted to be Darren Stevens. I mean, you know, advertising <laughs> looked like a really cool job and he had a very attractive wife. And so those were two things that I was looking for when I was in high school. But the other thing that I learned pretty early in high school is uh, some buddies of mine and I, there's three of us, bidded on a job to dig a drain uh, in the backyard of, uh, of a neighbor. And we, we bid this job at a dollar a foot which sounded great because we were going to go about 425 feet, split that three ways. It's going to make a little bit of money there. And then we uh, realized that uh, this was a drain. And at some points, we were about eight feet down at a dollar a foot. And uh, it was during that summertime in the hot sun down in Upland, California, that I made the decision that, uh, you know, going to school and getting an education and working in an office might not be a bad thing to do. It probably would be a, a great thing to do. That's actually something that Darren didn't do. So understanding that you wanted to know, I love that. I love that. I used to watch uh, Bewitched and all all those shows as a a kid for myself, especially a lot of them were in syndication by that time. But anyway, but was that, was that job then the the digging and the, and putting in the pipe, was that like the first paid job that you had then? Or did you have a job, any jobs in and around that? That was the first one. Well, you know, I was, I was a paper boy back in the day when you used to deliver newspapers uh, to people's houses where you'd have to go collect the money on a monthly basis. That that would have been the first job. And then we had the ditch, the ditch digging job and then dishwashing. But the first kind of pseudo position, uh, professional job that gave me some skills that I, you know, I quite frankly rely on even to this day was as a, com- a commissioned shoe salesman in a shoe store for men's shoes. I quickly learned from that experience that if you worked really hard and you understood what the customer needed and you could define their needs with your product and fulfill it, uh, you could make some pretty good money and, and, and dress nice too. It was, a, it was a, a great opportunity to learn how to sell. And the importance of selling is something that you use each and every day, not only in HR, but really in any profession that you've got today. Absolutely. I was deathly afraid to sell growing up definitely afraid oh i just i just wasn't i wasn't really good i was a very social 
child, uh, shy but social, and as well as even as a teenager and, and really involved in, in, in high school and even in college, but I was really just not very good. In fact, everything that I had learned in business, to be honest, is, was learned on the street. We're going to get to your college education part too, but for me, it was uh, majoring in psychology and minoring in anthropology. There was no business classes, and everything I learned, I, like I said, learned on the street, and I got good at it, but man, I remember trying to i went to uh hoover vacuum training yeah sales training one day one day in this training and i bailed one day that was all you needed oh man (laughs) i was like there's no way that i'm doing this there's no way i'm going door to door and i just i did not have the the the, the constitution the personality i'm a much different person now but, but so kudos to you so tell me the sales experience, obviously, hands down, working in the shoe store, right? But but what other yeah. kinds of what about other what other skills and takeaways? Was was that a, was it a mostly pleasant job for you then? Yeah, it was mostly a pleasant job. And you know, funny you should say, you know, the sales experience was not something that you really enjoyed because I'm an introvert. I mean, to this day, I'm still an introvert, and yet I still make speeches in front of hundreds of people. I get a buzz out of it in a weird way. I'm actually a lot more comfortable in groups that are large versus groups that are small. But one of the, the other things that I learned um, in that shoe store is I became an assistant manager while I was working through college. And so you were doing inventory control, you're hiring people, you're doing payroll, you're firing people. And I realized that if our people who are working for us really knew about the project product and what was important, they could do better. So I would actually bring in professional salespeople I brought in a podiatrist one day to our Saturday morning meeting for our four, four salespeople plus me. And, you know, he'd talk about the importance of proper fit and the sales guy would talk about the importance of identifying a customer and what their needs are. And then I decided, well, you know, that's great for our little store. Why don't we scale that up? So I started a newsletter and we called it the shoehorn and we tied together like seven stores in the greater LA area. And it scared the heck out of the district manager because the district manager thought I was starting a union and I was completely oblivious to what that stuff was. That experience in the store where I learned that, wow, you could, you could actually trigger higher levels of productivity in people if you educated them and, and recognized them for great work. That was really the genesis to me getting interested in human resources. Kind of carried through for to this day. I mean, I've kind of specialized in the HR transformation space and the HR strategy space and helping HR teams get better is just something I really enjoy doing. That's fascinating because what you just shared with me also kind of struck me as like, wow, we, we, we have to be constantly, and it's easily, easy to be constantly reminded of how complicated the world of work is. <laughs> and the fact of the matter yeah. is, you were here you were thinking that you were doing a good thing, increasing productivity, in the shoe store, um, really making some really great suggestions and even some people management work that, that you did, it sounds like as well. And they were, there was a fear that you were organizing. Yeah. And, you know, it, it kind of follows through all the way through to HR, which is, you know, as a profession, I think to some extent we've been identified as the compliance cop. And I think if you can break the paradigm, which is it's not about filling out the form. There's a purpose and a reason why you're asking people to do it. And if you can align what you're doing to strategy and make it make sense to folks, you can unleash a lot of creativity. I mean, that district manager just about blunted a career in HR, right? He, 
he just about because it was all about compliance at the time and fear right. that he could have blunted some real creativity. And, and we got to figure out a way to unleash people, give them the freedom to not only succeed, but fail. And who knows what they're going to find? Well, exactly. And, you know, the, was this, so was this, was this before, during or after college for you, John? This was during college. During college. Um, this was, yeah, I was probably working about 30, 35 hours a week and going to Cal State Fullerton at the same time. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was my way of filling up the car with gas and, and uh, making, making life work for me was commission shoe sales while I went to school and got a degree in communication. And, and here's to, to you, brother, for being a State University graduate as well. I know I told you before we started the podcast that I, the San Jose State University Proud Spartan yeah. alum as well. And I tell you, I did too. I worked, especially the last two years of college for me, I was working full-time for the university. And this is really where <laughs> I finally had to break that cycle of being afraid to sell and learning yeah. more about business because I was running the, the, uh, the fundraising annual fund program. You know, when you call up alums, parents and friends and Ask for you were cold. You were cold calling the guy who well, didn't like to. Do I that. was well. I was part. I did some of that too. Yeah, no, believe it or not, I did some of that. But I ran the actual program. So I actually we hired students, part time students that yeah. that were making the calls to alums, parents, and friends for you know not not major donations, but um, smaller donations, annual donations. But yes, and I was involved in some of that too. So that was it. Still wasn't easy for me, but it's where I finally started to break out of of that. Yeah. Of, yeah. that, of that cycle, finally. And that was when I was going to school, too. And I was taking full, full out of classes. That's tough. That's tough yeah, to do that. Yeah. yeah I, but I, you know, I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything, though. I really, you know, you learn time management very quickly. You learn what's important. And you get your eye on the prize. And you just head for it. But let me ask you a little bit more then about the, the college time. Because it sounds like you had not only some really good experiences in working while you went to school. How did college for you then, just the fact of, of getting your degree um, prior to the, the rest of, of the show, where we're going to talk about more about what you've done in HR, but how did going to the education itself inform your career decisions? You know, I would say it taught me to think. And the other thing it did, I, I went to a parochial grade school and then the local high school that I went to, I think there were like 650 students in my freshman class and about 330 of them graduated. So, you know, college education was not at a, at a premium at the, at the high school I went to. Um, but when I got into college, I quickly learned, like, hey, this is competitive. I mean, there's a lot of people in here just as smart as me. Um, and they come from really diverse backgrounds. They're, we're, the way they were brought up is different than I. And that was a real expanding moment for me from the standpoint of understanding that people come from different walks of life, what they think is important is different. And I really learned quickly that it's not about right and wrong. It's just about, it's a different way to get to the same destination. And it really kind of opened my mind up to thinking about not only work differently, but people differently and, and, and embracing that diversity. And and I saw that the next time in my career, you'll, you'll see from my background, I've worked for a lot of really large global corporations, is that I get this really great buzz out of doing HR in another country and being in a meeting, talking about a problem and finding out that that local team, their solution for it is 180 degrees different from the way you were looking at the problem. That, that whole diversity is all about how you can look at the same problem and come up with much better solutions 
if you're not stuck all in the same paradigm. And I, I learned some of that in college too. And that's what, that was a very helpful experience for me. It sounds like, obviously based on what we've already been talking about, that it was kind of the bridge or the beginning path or whatever metaphor of choice you want to use of what was leading you down the path of, of a career in human resources. I mean, you already touched on a few things about learning more about business, about managing people, about hiring people. How did you go to, into HR early on? And what were some of the early stretch assignments? I know you mentioned international work and travel as well. With some of the, and you worked for some really big companies, Coca-Cola, Motorola, Nissan, General Dynamics, pretty big companies. This, the theme of this show too has always been how we stretch ourselves, right? Professionally yeah. and personally, and how those two things are inextricably linked because there ain't no separation of any of that anymore. And there, yeah. Never, yeah. there never really was. We always, I think we convinced ourselves there was. It was different world maybe but it's it really wasn't though we still there is always we're always bringing some level of work home so talk about that talk about the kind of like how you really morphed into full-time hr and some of those early stretches that you had one of the requirements that i had when i was at uh, cal state fullerton in the pr department is you had to actually go talk to uh professional and pr and i went and talked to the uh uh, Vice President of Corporate Communications for General Dynamics. They had a missile and gun systems plant in Pomona, California. And we talked about HR and it was a great, inter not HR, we talked about PR and it was a great interview. And about, you know, eight months later when I graduated, I put my resume out to General Dynamics and somehow or another he found out that I had applied there and he sends out his raving review about, I've met this gentleman, he's got a lot of tenacity, he's an Eagle Scout, um, he's somebody that we should have working for us. And by this time, I had gone through that entire experience working in the shoe store. And the first interview I got at General Dynamics was as a suggestion analyst for the employee suggestion program. And in those days, what would happen is you would get 15% of the first year savings for ideas that employees generated. And that was within the HR organization. And that's really what got me started in this field. You know, you'd analyze ideas, you'd have to go talk to manufacturing engineers, you'd have to talk to supervisors, you'd have to talk to employees that turned in ideas, because you only paid if the idea got implemented. And that allowed me to really understand across the business and all the different facets of it. And that group, that employee suggestion program, belonged to the gentleman that ran employee relations and hourly staffing. And he quickly transitioned me after about a year from an employee suggestion analyst into an hourly recruiter. That's really where I got my start in HR. Um, and I learned in that role that HR can be a force for fantastic change in people's life. And it can also be a place where bad things happen too. And, and, and what I mean by that, Kevin, is I had this woman that came in for an interview and there was, there was something about her that caught my eye relative to this is somebody who wants to really work hard but has a hard time articulating her skill set and i brought her in for four different interviews with four different managers and then she finally got hired into a procurement analyst space and about a year later i'm walking across the factory floor and i, I hear this woman screaming mr dakota mr dakota and i'm looking around for my dad because i'm like 26 years old right <laughs> And, and this woman comes up to me and she gives me this huge bear hug and she says, you changed my life. I've been here now for a year and a half. I've just gotten promoted. When I came in for my interview, I was living in my car and I now have made a career for myself. And it was, that was the experience that really got me stoked about the impact that we can have in this profession. 
you know, the, the flip side of that, Kevin, was the General Dynamics, a big defense contractor, right? And we had a contract con- cancellation one day. And I, I remember having to lay off a husband and a wife within two hours of each other who'd been working for that facility for like 20 years. And, you know, that's the downside of HR. Um, the upside of HR is that you can change people's life and put them on a very positive trajectory. The downside of HR is that you also have to make decisions that are right for the business. So you got to balance that, right? It's what's good for the business as well as what's good for people. Well, and boy, those are really tough to reconcile sometimes because, Absolutely. because, and I, I hear you on that. Cause even though I always like to, to, to joke in the, in the space. And I've been in the, the HR recruiting technology space now for over 18 years that I've always played HR and recruiting on TV. And because I've never, I've never actually, I mean, I've, I've, hi, I have recruited and hired and trained and managed and fired, unfortunately, and laid off and laid myself off from, from yeah. a, from a, from a yeah. start, from a startup in uh, where I live now, um, when I first actually got into this space. So, I mean, I've done it all, but I've never actually had the the title of HR w- recruiting a little bit, but not so much HR yeah. though. But, but anyway, it's just not, it's just, it's messy. Cause we are, we're, we're messy beings. We're humans. Yeah. And yeah. when we, and then when it comes to business, it's, it is a business decision. And, and as you know, you know, I, do research, run the research organization talent board where we, we focus a lot on candidate experience pre-hire. Um, and but even for those internal candidates too, part of our research does cover what it's like to be an internal candidate and already being employed and going through it. But it's just, um, you, you hear those stories, the first one that you shared, I mean, the layoffs, it's never fun. I mean, just look what, and look what happened just for a lot of us. I mean, I can tell you, without going into any gory details, you know, it was really tough in 2009 and 10 for my my wife and I with two very young children. And, uh, and some of that was even based on choices that we made. It wasn't because of what else, what else was going around around us, you know, with the economic crater that we still crawling out of for some some degree. But that said, I mean, it's, it's really tough to do that, but those stories though, that one you just shared about her, you thank you so much. That's, that's, that really, at the end of the day, is what it's all about for me. And even for those, the nine out of 10 people who don't get the job, again, um, even whether they're external candidates or even internal that are trying to either do a, a lateral move or a transfer of some kind and they don't get it, it is, if they're treated fairly, if we're treated fairly, we're bummed and we may even be a little upset, but it's a much better experience when we know that we can't argue the fact that you were clear with me up front about everything that was yep. going on. You know what I mean? And you know this being in HR. So how, so John, you, yeah. work with, you work with some really, really big brands and you shared a couple of stories there, right? I mean, it, yeah. was there ever a, a, a smaller company that you worked for in, in HR? Was it always really big companies for HR? Uh, I would say it was always, always pretty big companies for HR, except I had worked for a couple of, a couple of times for those big companies, smaller operations. Like for example, you know, I worked for Nissan Motor Corporation, which is a huge corporation, but I was the Mid-Atlantic Region HR uh, manager, and I worked for a, a general manager. He had a team of about 90 people, and then about another 140 at a parts distribution center. And what that group was responsible for was facing off with all the dealers in the Mid-Atlantic states. And this was, you know, you know, Kevin, there are a couple of people, there's probably about three people that if they called me tonight, I'd go work for them tomorrow. And the general manager that I worked for was a gentleman by the name of Tom Center. 
And what he did and the way he worked with his HR team is that I was involved in marketing decisions and the marketing team was involved in HR decisions. He ran his organization in such a way that it was team-based, leveraging the strengths of each expertise, but also kind of teasing out of us differences of opinion and thought relative to, to the direction that we should head. And for Nissan, I was hired to, to put in a competency-based pay program, which was really cutting edge. It was move away from merit-based pay and move to a space where you pay people to develop new skills sure. and new competencies, right? Mm-hmm. And we did that because we were moving from a space of super specialists facing off to the dealers to what we called field operation managers, which were supposed to be generalists with a lot of different skills. And so we wanted to force movement. Um, and he allowed me lots of creativity to do some pretty interesting things. Some of them worked well. Some of them didn't. Some of them didn't work well. Out of all that, now your one of your latest stretches, though, is the fact that you are working for the Society for Human Resource Management. So tell us a little bit more about what, what SHRM is, and then your your specific focus, and why you made why you, you why you moved to this now HR membership as, uh, association. Great question. And the association space is dramatically different than the for-profit business space that I came from. You know, Sherm, the Society for Human Resource Management has 290,000 members on a global basis. Um, We have 565 chapters across the United States. There's actually uh, two chapters in the greater Bay Area. There's the Bay Area HR Executive Council Group, uh, BayREC, and the other is Sherm Northern California. And Sherm Northern California is a brand new chapter that we just started up in the January timeframe. And you kind of get this mix of my experience in the for-profit business world and my you know, heavy focus on how do I help HR professionals become more productive. And you match that up with an organization that's solely focused on that. I mean, we are about the members and it's about the development and the engagement of members. And so now what I get to do is I get to help incubate this new chapter in the greater Northern California area. And we get to put on some really cool programming. So, for example, we've got a program that we're dropping in at the end of May. It's on the 24th in San Francisco and Santa Clara, 25th in Oakland. And it's going to be focused in on HR analytics, you know, how to increase the impact to your organization. It's not, this isn't just a super wonky analytics discussion. This is a discussion about analytics, the role that they're playing, and what you as an HR professional can do in the business in which you operate and do something with this data and do something with this information that makes informed decisions for your organization. So you're really, you're taking a lot of things that you've learned throughout your career. Um, again, more than 25 years of, of HR experience and again, very, very large organizations globally as well. And now you're applying it to and helping to educate other HR professionals. The last thing I wanted to ask you then, John, in, in this, all this context, What's the one thing, you've shared a lot of great insights for that matter for somebody who's interested in a similar path, but what's one thing that you would really recommend to somebody who's considering either going from a small organization to a large one or from a large one to a, a not-for-profit one? What, what's one piece of, of advice that you would give somebody who's looking to make a, a change like that? Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll cheat. I'll give you two pieces of advice. Do it. The, you know, the, the first one I would tell you, my move from... Uh, global HR into the uh, association space was that I got to work with people with a lot of passion. I mean, the association space is very, very passion rich. It's resource-wise, but passion rich. 
in the for-profit space, you had a tendency to have people that were really smart, may not have had a lot of passion, but you had lots of resources. Um, and it's actually really cool to figure out how to do things cheap and cheerful and attain a really big impact. The other piece of advice I've gotten, and I'm actually going to be giving this tomorrow when I go talk to some university students, but it, I, it's, it's advice that I've given not only to myself, but others throughout my career in HR, is that anytime you look at a role, there's three things that you want from it. One, you want it to be a little uncomfortable. I mean, you don't stretch unless you do something that's a little different than what you've done before. And then the other two things is you want to make sure that any opportunity you go chase is going to provide you highly marketable skills within the organization that you're in and highly marketable skills outside the organization that you're in. And if you can only get one of those two, always, always go after those highly marketable skills outside the organization that you're in. Because if they are not valued in the company that you're in, that may tell you something about the organization that you're currently working for. Absolutely. The best way to know is to do and to break staff and to keep doing and to keep learning and to break a few more things and then have some wins. Agreed. There you go. And I'm also a big advocate of getting the the 80% and going. We're never going to be at 100% for for staff. By the time you get there, your your competitors have surpassed you. You're you're out to lunch. I agree. And actually what, What's really interesting about that, Kevin, is that, you know, that depends on the culture you're in, right? So right. Sure. A place like Coke, a place like Coke, be really happy with 80%. You're okay with that. A place like eBay, you probably cooked it by 30% too much. So yeah, that's um, a good point. You know, good point. Basically, yeah, 80%, I would say, yeah, 80% is probably the slowest speed you want, right? I mean, yeah. it's about quickly iterating, learning from your mistakes and redeploying and, 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 and improving. Exactly. Well, John, listen, thank you so much for being on Reach West Radio. It was a pleasure chatting with you about uh, your career and just talking about uh, uh, just sharing our experiences with one another. And I look forward to seeing you in person very soon. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Reach wise, reach well, reach west and live the effectual stretch. We'll feel you next time on Reach West Radio. Hey, Bryce, what would you like to be when you grow up? Um, a marine biologist. Beatrice, what would you like to be when you grow up? A firefighter. Why do you want to be a marine biologist? Because I like ocean animals and I think they're sweet. (laughs) And Beatrice, why do you want to be a firefighter? So I can help people in fires. Awesome. Say, I love Reach West Radio. I love Reach West Radio. <laughs> One more time. I love Reach West Radio.